This is not a test. This is not a test. Please remain calm. Unburied dead are coming back to life and seeking human victims. Seeking human victims. Minister of the Occult, the Rev. Dan Wilson, and we are covering, of course, Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. If you recall, last year we said that we were going to try to start an annual tradition until we burnt through these things, so we did the original last year, and now we come back in 2021 with the sequel. 2020 was the worst year that most of us have experienced in quite a while. Uh, 2021 was pretty shitty itself, but by comparison was worlds better, Uh, so... You know, hopefully your life has found you in a little bit better spot as you join us this year for the Christmas special. And of course, I am here with my naughty little elves, Dreamboat Annie. Daddy almost got his present early. Oh, (laughs) and of course, the one, the only rounding out this holiday skeleton crew, the great Muji. You tend to get paranoid when everyone around you gets dead. <laughs> so this, of course, is a performance that has been memed and gifted and shared all over the Internet in recent years. But we're going all the way back to the origin of the story. And we're going to tell you all about how Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 came to be. Uh, Most of us had some degree of familiarity with this movie. I had seen it quite a few times, and I think Muji probably had as well. I don't think Annie had ever sat down and watched it all the way through, but she definitely seen it on and was familiar with the the Garbage Day memes and stuff. Um, So, you know, I don't... I I think we all saw it in adulthood, right? I think we can agree on that. Yeah, it's one of those movies that, like, I remember as a kid, like, seeing on the um on the shelf of the the VHS on the shelf at like the local video store but i got to tell you whenever i was a kid and like even in like horror big time like i never was like holiday themed stuff like christmas stuff like did not speak to me then so i never saw the movies until i became like probably like in my 20s and that's when i saw the first one and then in recent years, it seems like all the sequels have been like available either on Shutter or some sort of other service. So, seen them all at this point. Yeah, it was adulthood for me as well, uh, stumbling upon these. You know, probably 10, 15 years ago. I see the original one as a kid. I remember, you know, we talked about it in the last episode how I remembered seeing the, the commercial or rather uh, the, the coverage on Entertainment Tonight talking about the protests and the controversy around the original and like Muji, I think I'd seen it on the shelf at the video store, but it wasn't until I was in my twenties probably that I saw this for the first time and hadn't revisited it in a while. And <laughs> some of the, of course you, you remember all of the big moments, but there are some of the smaller moments that I'd forgotten about that tickled me quite a bit. We'll probably talk about those here on the show, but before we dig on in to the coroner's report, We, of course, 
have a musical guest. This year, 2021, has brought us a partnership with the wonderful folks, Mike Giuliano and company, over at Horror, Pain, Gore, Death Productions, partnering heavy metal and seeking human victims going together like peanut butter and jelly. And so we've got a new musical guest this week. Before we dig on in, the band is a band out of New Jersey called Fernwa with a new album out called Approaching Oblivion. It's a progressive album that combines elements of black and death metal along with trippy, technical, and psychedelic stoner-friendly fuzz. Fernwa are fueled by subconscious Jungian philosophies with a horror aesthetic. And these occult-obsessed crushers are ready to take on the world with adventurous throttling riffs. This track tonight we're playing is called Leaking Out, and it's called Pure Crushing Death Metal with a progressive twist featuring the wretched guest vocals of Devin Swank of San Sig... God damn it, I can't say this band name. Sanguisugabog, courtesy of Century Media Records. For fans of Black Sabbath, Boards of Canada, Camel, King Crimson, Morbid Angel, Pelican, Soundgarden, and Voivod. And that's a wide variety of bands. You definitely want to check out Fernwa kicking it off this week on Seeking Human Victims, courtesy of HorrorPainGoreDeath.com. Head on over there and take advantage of their Christmas Evil sale and get 35% off. Let's hear the jams.
The Coroner's Report. All right, so a brief summary of this, of course, 1987 slasher film. It's co-written by Joseph H. Earl, and the director is one Lee Harry. As we mentioned, it is the sequel to 1984's Silent Night, Deadly Night, and the precursor to its sequel, Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, Better Watch Out, from 1989, and focuses on Ricky Caldwell, the brother of Billy Chapman, and his own trauma regarding his parents' Christmas Eve murders, which triggers his own killing spree. It, of course, relies very heavily on flashbacks. 40 minutes of this movie is just the original Silent Night, Deadly Night film. We'll talk about it in much greater detail as we move on. The direction. Oh, sure. This is the first I've noticed that they have different last names. What's that about? Like, obviously, they lived in, you know, an orphanage, but. Got a couple foster names. Yeah, but, I was why, but, say, they, but they were still siblings. Like, even if you get put in an orphanage, you're going to have the same last name until you get adopted. Well, Ricky was a dot. Well, he was a foster. Like, maybe they did adopt him. I don't know. Maybe he took their last name or maybe it was just a change they made to the movie. It, it literally could have been that they forgot what his name was. Like, That's like as much effort as they put into this one, like you just said, 40 minutes of this film with a, what's the total runtime? Like 67 minutes. 40 minutes of it is just the original movie. Yeah. So the answer is, I don't know, but it may be answered later in the notes. It is possible. Uh, but our director Maybe. was a, our director was a guy named Lee Harry. Uh, he really was mainly known as an editor in Hollywood, but he did direct a couple of films, namely this one and a movie called Street Soldiers. Uh, his fellow editor was Joseph Earl and... He was tasked to make this movie look like a different film than the original, but they basically told him just to repackage the original movie. Um, He tried his best. So uh, it has since become a cult classic, and uh, Harry was pleased with the reception the film received. He's also known for motion picture advertising trailers for many of the major agencies and advertising firms in L.A. Uh, He directed a short film... He also won an award for his AV work on No Country for Old Men. And the filmmakers together say they were paid a dismal amount of money to make the film. And they asked him to recut the first film and insert one or two new scenes with Eric playing a mental patient to make the story in the original appear to be nothing more than the ravings of a lunatic. But the screenwriters wrote short vignettes involving the patient's youth as he killed several people. And eventually it became this sequel. But there wasn't enough movie for a full-length film, so they added several flashback sequences, which is where we got most of the original movie still in this movie. And even then, it was still short, so the op- the uh, closing credits are almost 10 minutes long. They show the full cast and crew of this movie and of the first one. That's I it. mean, that's like literally the equivalent of uh, putting two spaces in between your words, like when you have like a page, not a word limit, but like you have to... It has to be three to five pages, and you're just trying to add random words like and, no contractions, can't, becomes cannot immediately. That's like the same, that's the same effort there. Yeah, it was was trying to fill that time, and the total film is an 88-minute runtime for reference. But does that include, like, the 10-minute credits? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Runtime is start to finish, including credits. So I wasn't off with the whole 62 minutes of film. No. And the music uh, mainly reused stuff from the original movie, except for the end, like the ending sequence. There seems to be a new soundtrack over there. But at least one one composer is Michael Armstrong. And then the cast. Let's talk about the cast, because the cast is really what makes this movie. If not for Ricky and his performance then I, I think this movie is just tossed into the trash pile and forgotten. But he makes it memorable. He's played by one Eric Freeman as Ricky Chapman. He's a Raleigh, North carolina base actor, mainly known for this movie. I uh, really didn't do much prior to this, and this kind of launched him. Uh, after it, he made appearances in various TV shows. He had a guest role in the Superboy TV show. 
Uh, he played the character named Peter in the episode The Woman Called Tiger Eye. He appeared on several episodes of In Living Color, and his last TV appearance was in 1992 on the TV series Dangerous Curves as Johnny Strong in the episode Muscle Boys. <laughs> Not making any of that up. What the fucking Cinemax are you talking about here? Like... <laughs> There's no way that there's not a fucking naked man ass or something in that show with those names. Right. And now in 2004, he kind of disappeared from the public eye and the directors at that time were putting together the DVD commentary when that was in its infancy of being a big thing. And they tried to hunt him down and they couldn't find the motherfucker. Fell off the face of the earth. This led to a whole campaign online called the Finding Freeman Movement where fans online tried to track him down and locate his whereabouts. In 2013, he finally returned to the public eye when he attended a screening of Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 in December of 2013, and he stated during a speech there that he just had no idea people were interested in him, and he didn't even know people were looking for him at all until he by chance just some met somebody who told him that there was this big thing going on online to try to find him as if he was a missing person. So he reached out and... You know, he just really didn't know that people gave a fuck, which is kind of surprising as, you know, he's had all this convention money he probably could have been cashing in on at that time. But he certainly is now. Uh, He returned to acting even in 2016, appearing in the TV movie, get this, A Husband for Christmas, which also features Robert Brian Wilson, who plays his fictional brother, Billy, in the original Silent Night, Deadly Night, and, of course, the flashbacks of this movie. That's right. Ricky and Billy are in a fucking, like, Lifetime Christmas movie, Lifetime slash Hallmark Christmas movie, and you can stream that motherfucker on Amazon Prime. Wow. I've actually heard of this movie. It stars, uh, like, Vivica A. Fox. It was, oh, gosh. It was, what? oh, gosh. That's, like, the only, I, I just I just Googled it really quick, and that's the only, at, like, name, name familiar actor or actress in this, but I rem- remember this one. That's, like, they had to know what they were doing, right? Like, surely. I mean, surely maybe. That. I mean, they might have just picked him off of a list of uh, actors who would work for not much. No, as a, no. As someone who, um, whose uh, wife watches every single new Hallmark movie every single year, a.k.a. I watch every single new Hallmark movie every single year and Lifetime for Christmas, there's no way I haven't seen this movie. I'm looking at the, like, poster and stuff now, and I don't remember it at all. Also has Eric Roberts in it, BT dub, but uh, there's just no way that I haven't seen this movie. <laughs> but yeah, whoever did it just, whoever did it, like, had to know if they cast them both in that movie. Like, somebody had to do it. Had like, okay, I'm being a there. random movie, whatever. It's a Christmas movie? Come on. Come the fuck on. Yeah, the guy who directed it, also directed the movie Puppet Master 3. So no way he didn't know. It was oh, from yeah. Ion. It was, it was an Ion film. That's what I've been trying to find is, was it Hallmark or Lifetime? It's Ion. So that's probably why you haven't seen it, Moji. Okay, yeah, it could be. Yeah, it could be it. But yeah, the guy who directed, so the guy who directed that movie is named David Dekatu. I'm looking at his filmography. He's one of these, I, dr- I direct 9,000 movies per year TV movie guys now. He directed such movies as Bunker of Blood, Chapter 5, The Psycho Sideshow, also known as Demon Freaks. Um, He's got, like, yeah, he's directed, like, multiple fucking sequels to franchises, like, the way later, like, DVD ones. Yeah, like, he's he's directed a shit ton of, like, straight-to-DVD horror movies. Like, he had 100%. Yeah, so, yes. Yeah, so you that answers the question. It's I, what I just found out. It says, meet David Dicato, the king of homoerotic. No joke. Yeah, he directed Creepazoids in 1987. Yeah. Yeah, so. Okay, I, well, well, he did, David, yeah, he just got a, uh, he just got a really, uh, he just got a really big shout out on the spot. So good for him. 
Apparently he has like a a major. He's done a bunch of stuff with Vivica A. Fox. All right. Well, there we go. Um. So <laughs> there, we had like five actors that played Ricky in this movie. Um. So that's pretty funny. Of course, Eric Freeman being the primary actor that is is remembered, but there were a few. There was Daryl Gilbo who played Ricky at age fifteen, who became famous in anime as a voice actor, but. Of course, this time was a live action actor. Um, and then we had Brian Michael Henley, who played Ricky at age 10. And then the two other actors, the baby and the uh, other Ricky at age 10 from the original movie, which was a different actor that they clipped in additional footage to make him more prominent. So lots of Rickies in this movie. And then uh, there weren't many other actors that had even any credits in this movie, so it was really hard to find anything to talk about here. But we did have James L. Newman as Henry Bloom. That was the doctor. He was so prominent. I had to include him, though I couldn't find much on him. We had uh, Elizabeth Kitan as Jennifer. What were you going to say, Muji? Oh, I was going to say James L. Newman, um, the doctor was in a fucking, like, contest with Ricky on, like, who can fucking do the worst acting today. Like, I feel like when they got together and were, like, reading the lines, or maybe he got there, and the guy playing Ricky was doing a certain way, and the doctor was like, I guess I got to get on this level. Because, Jesus, those scenes, it was like, what the fuck are y'all, like, why are y'all both talking like this? Like, what? what is going on here? Like, he's oh, yeah. almost more distracting because he's the doctor. Like, okay, Ricky, he's crazy. I guess, I guess, you know, it's like he's making a choice here. But then the doctor's like, why the fuck are you doing it too? Yeah. (laughs) The scenes between those two were something else. And then we had Elizabeth Kitan as Jennifer Stetson. Uh, She was, of course, Ricky's girlfriend later in the movie, who is the love of his life that he settles down for. And then, of course, he just fucking kills her instantly the second she gets mad at him for sticking the fucking uh, jumper cables in that dude's mouth and making his eyeballs explode. Old Chip. That guy was a real dick. Which, I'm sorry, like her reaction in that scene, like that's how you react to your boyfriend just lost his fucking shit and, like, blew a dude's eyeballs out with jumper cables in his mouth. And you just are like, oh, no. Ricky, no. Ah. Like, you, I would be losing my shit. She's like, how, what? Oh, how could you do that? Like, um, why are you just sitting there talking to him calmly? Why are you not freaking the fuck out and running for your fucking life? Well, you found out why. Because she had to die. And it was also he, nice that uh, Chip was like the fucking like Dollar Tree version of like an '80s like villain, like a fucking like if William Zabka was like is a ten out of ten, he was like a two out of ten. Like I fucked her brains out in the back of Big Red. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that girl was much, much, much better looking than fucking Chip. So I just I'm not buying it. Yeah, that was, uh, we've actually talked about her on the show before, but we probably didn't go into great detail on her career. She was in Friday the 13th Part 7 as Robin, uh, one of the only bare-breasted babes in that film. Um, But she was also in the famed cult movie Savage Dawn in 1985 and the Vice Academy movies Parts 3, 4, 5, and 6 as Candy. Uh, she made her final film appearance in 1999 and then has been back on the circuit since about 2009 in all sorts of Friday the 13th documentaries. She was in the His Name Was Jason documentary, and she's also done a bunch of Friday the 13th fan films as well. So really attached to that fandom, not so much the Silent Night, Deadly Night fandom, but she certainly could be if she wanted to, because the convention work is out there for you, baby. <laughs> And then we had Lillian Chauvin and the archive footage of Mother Superior. And then old face rot Mother Superior is played by Gene Miller. 
And I did not know that having a stroke gave you fucking leprosy on one half of your face, but apparently that's what happened to Mother Superior. And uh, she was like straight up two faced. You gotta love she was. He was real Harvey denting it up. Uh, you gotta love she was just a, a cold bitch till the very end, getting mad on even on Christmas that the kids are outside playing. And that there's a parade going on and just generally being a crotchety old bitch. So, Mother Superior is the real villain of the Silent Night, Deadly Night franchise. I like how he's like clearly there to murder her. And she's like, y'all naughty. Stop being naughty. Like, I think we're past the point. I don't think you have power over him anymore, (laughs) ma'am. Yeah, and the scene where, you know, he finally kills Mother Superior. And that's two movies we've been waiting on that and then uh where he he kills her off screen and so then the cops come in and they find her and he, she's all like set up they're like mother superior and she's like she doesn't respond they go to touch her and he's decapitated and her fucking head rolls off that's that's a fantastic finish <laughs> they 100 percent spent their entire budget on like four things and that was one of them yeah, I think all the kills were pretty strong. You know, you got the the eyeballs exploding with Chip that we just mentioned. And the head looks, you know, a little fake. But, I mean, you got to think for 1987, it was about par for the course. Um, and then, like, the, yeah, that, was, he, that was the first thing that I said. I was like, oh, that's where they blew their budget. Yeah. And where he impales the dude with the umbrella, like, and and then opens it up, like, that's a pretty spectacular kill as well. And while the first film was shot in Utah, this one was filmed in Sierra Madre, California. At least the new scenes were. Not too far from where they shot the original Halloween film. That's an interesting fact. And with that odd and interesting fact, let's open the door to the auditorium. Strange truths and morbid curiosities will be revealed inside the auditorium. Kicking off the auditorium with the best fact you're going to hear on this entire episode. Ricky's eyebrows, according to someone who allegedly counted this, move up and down 130 times during this picture. You think Ricky is actually just like a prequel to The Rock? (laughs) Is it like up and down one? It says they move up and down 130 times. It does not quantify or define it any further. (laughs) <laughs> there's not a fucking manual on that fact annie well why not somebody i mean if someone's gonna be like he moves his eyebrows up and down 130 times is that a combined like up is one down is two so or is that up and down one i would say probably one up and down would be one just to satiate your obsessiveness <laughs> no but I, I i legit think that would probably be one um, and then, so, you know, we talked about Garbage Day kind of becoming a meme. I guess if you've lived under a rock, you might not have seen that. But, um, you know, YouTube clips and pictures, et cetera, uh, just kind of took the Internet by storm a few years ago uh, so around Christmas time as one of the prevailing prominent memes. And, you know, people who weren't even horror fans were sharing Garbage Day and having a chuckle at it. According to the director... The role of Ricky came down to Freeman and one other actor, and the other actor had more experience and was a better actor overall, but they liked Freeman's looks better, so they chose him. Once again, proving that Hollywood is superficial. So it's filmed in a whopping... What? I don't know if I believe that story. It's hard to believe that they had a better actor. I know, man. God damn it, I know. So, all of this was filmed in 10 days, which is kind of shocking it even took that long, because it's less than half of the movie. Apparently, Freeman received conflicting direction from Lee Harry and the co-writer Joseph Earl. Freeman wanted to play Ricky as more of a cold and malevolent killer, but Harry envisioned him as a wisecracking killer like Freddy Krueger. So, Earl encouraged him to be as over-the-top and as acting as possible. And there's 
so that's why we get what we get kind of explains it like why he is so all over the place apparently the dude they hired to play the salvation army santa failed to show up for filming he just no showed the fucking gig so they got the cinematographer harvey jenkins to step in and do that gig and he was murdered for his efforts apparently the love making scene between ricky and jennifer was drastically cut this is one of my favorite odd and interesting facts daryl gilbo who played the 15 year old ricky was actually 24 years old when they filmed the movie. And he was three years older than Eric Freeman, who played Ricky at 18. That sounds about right for Hollywood teenagers. Oh, this was a ridiculous example, too, though. Like, he he looked like he was fucking 45. Like, <laughs> it's like, why was he supposed to be 15? There was another movie we just recently did where we were like, why is this grown man supposedly a teenager? But I can't remember what it was now. Yeah, I don't know, but it, it it's a common thing. But this this is ridiculous. Like this, like I said, he looked considerably. He is is and looks considerably older than Eric Freeman. And uh, speaking of that Salvation Army Santa, Harvey Jenkins did not provide his voice. It was actually dubbed over by co-writer Joseph Earl. Apparently, the production company Live Entertainment wanted to try and recruit Charles Sellier Jr to return as director for the sequel and he declined as i'm sure he was probably tired of dealing with the wrath of angry parents and all of the controversy that that original film generated or he read the script for this one (laughs) that's possible also muji Speaking of the controversy, this one was also banned in the UK by the BBFC and apparently in the original movie. So we don't get an explanation, but it says in the original movie, of course, Ricky was credited as Chapman and in the sequel, it was changed to Caldwell. So I'm going to say that maybe he was adopted by one of those foster families. And that's why his last name was changed to Caldwell. I'm going to choose to believe it's because they literally just forgot I think you're probably more correct. And of course, it's, I mean, they make it pretty obvious that there's not subtlety is not the strong suit of the Silent Night, Deadly Night franchise. But the address on Mother Superior's house was 666, if you didn't catch it. It's like, haha for the movie or whatever. But like, no nun would live. Nah, they'd be like, yeah, we're just going to change. We're just going to be 665.5. Yeah, that old bat would have been too superstitious. <laughs> like at Chick-fil-A, if your total comes up at $6.66, they will literally take, like, give you like a couple cents discount or something so that you won't have to pay that amount. Boom. So I don't think, I don't think, I don't think a nun would live in a house with that address. What's funny is that this movie and its predecessor are all full of mostly unknown actors, but they launched a franchise of mostly straight to video and cable movies. And almost all of those had some sort of big name actor in them, each of them, and yet made even less money than the first two. But if they were really straight to TV or straight to video, then that's to be expected. The loudmouth in the theater is director Lee Harry in a cameo, and he also provides the voice of the commentator when Mother Superior is watching the Christmas parade. And next to him in the theater is a young Jeff Foxworthy. (laughs) Not really, but he looks just like it. If you talk during movies, you might get killed by a crazy Santa. Here's your sign or something. (laughs) I, I, I think that was a different one. That's, is that the one of the other ones? Yes. Bill Ingvall? Yes. How dare you not be an expert on blue-collar comedy here on a horror podcast? <laughs> <laughs> no, but we are from the South, and boy, was that peak comedy here for a while. Uh, don't remind me. <laughs> Apparently, James Newman had a fierce argument with producer Lawrence Applebaum the day that Dr. Duke Bloom's death scene was due to be filmed. And when Bloom's body was being loaded into a body bag, Newman gave the finger to the camera, knowing that the gesture would be obscured by the other actors in the frame. And then oh, during I'm, the... I'm sure that he uh, 
you know, really was trying to stand up for his artistic integrity. So I can only imagine what that fucking argument was for. Clearly. During the scene of which Ricky and Jennifer are sitting inside the movie theater, Ricky asks, what movie is this? Well, it's the fucking first movie again, which they just showed flashbacks of earlier in this movie. But now they're going to the movie theater and watching it as a film. Um, But we're only getting the gas station scene of the initial Santa Claus robbing the gas station before he goes out and kills Billy and Ricky's parents. So that's pretty hilarious, in my opinion. And, you know, just another sign of just how cheap the movie was that they had to just like half of the movie is the old movie. And then, oh, we got to get another scene of it in there somehow. So we'll put it in the movie that they watch in the movie theater. I was kind yeah, of wondering. Yeah, I was kind of wondering if they were trying to pull a uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, New Nightmare. <laughs> right. Like, oh, it's a movie about those murders that happened where that guy dressed up like Santa. Yeah, they're like. We need some. We need the movie to somehow remind him of the uh, of the uh, tragedy of his childhood, so that you know he'll freak out and uh, go on a murder spree. What movie could we uh, come up with? It's like, well, um, I uh, I don't want to think too hard on this, but uh, how about just this movie? <laughs> how about a movie how about, about his brother killing yes, about, him? Yeah. By yeah, George, I watching. think we've got it. Yes. Let's not take too hard on this, guys. So pay $10 and a hot dog. We're not putting effort in. (laughs) With all of the the creative brain trust that has put together this cinematic classic, we can only wonder how well it did at the box office. So what say we look at the numbers? Numbers on the All right, Numbers of the Beast. This movie was released on April the 10th, 1987. As we said, a runtime of a super jam-packed 88 minutes. Budget, $250,000. Surprising. Thought it might even be less. Box office on a limited theatrical release, 154000 So not killing it at the box office, but you'd think would like VHS and stuff. It probably ended up turning a few dollars when everything was said and done. A few dollars. Which, I mean, not bad for half a movie. Yeah, double it, and they made 300000 if they had a full length. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if part of the $250,000 budget was like $200,000 was paying themselves to license the first movie. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the best carny shit ever. Other numbers of relevance of the body count. It would make so happy if that was true. <laughs> I know. Other numbers of relevance of the body count. Uh, body count in this one. Total of 22. Now that is combined between the first and second movie's clips. But a considerable amount of damage is done by Ricky during his rampage at the end. <laughs> the dude that comes out on his porch is like, hey, what's going on out here? <laughs> Pow! And then the car driving down the road that he shoots for no reason that explodes. And it's like, bingo! <laughs> Fucking amazing. What was the critical response like? Well, so, you know, it, it gets a lot of shit for all of the footage from the first movie being in it, but kind of being a half a movie. But, of course, it has gained a cult following as a black comedy due to Freeman's performance. And uh, Rotten Tomatoes has it at a 25% rating, but has not given it a critical consensus. The The average fan score is 3.7 out of 10. So uh, the critics didn't love this one, but I don't think it was made for the critics. I, I'm not sure who it was made for, but it found its audience over time. So if you would like to own Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 on home video, you can. And Annie's going to tell you how and a brief history of how we got there. So the film was originally released on VHS in the United States um, in 1987. And uh, then they also released it on Laserdisc. And it was 
eventually available on DVD in October of 2003 from Anchor Bay on the DVD double gift pack with the original Silent Night, Deadly Night. But that was actually discontinued due to copyright problems, and it is still out of print. And then on December 4th of 2012, it was released again alongside part one as a two-disc Christmas survival double feature. And that um, had some archival and bonus features that was put on that double gift pack that got discontinued. So it looks like this was kind of just like, we're just going to act like that never happened and do it again. Um, as far as the United Kingdom goes, it was declined a certificate by the BBFC after the distributors refused to make the cuts required for an 18 certificate. That ban was eventually lifted just last year in 2020. Um, and that was when the film was released uncut with an 18 certificate. So it sounds like they just loosened up their restrictions. And then the looks like the final release, the most recent one, was from December of 2018 uh, by, you guessed it, Shout Factory. They put it out under Scream Factory with a, as a two-disc collector's edition on Blu-ray, and it features a 2K transfer of archival theatrical print, as well as uh, the flashback footage of the first movie being taken from the 4K master. Oh, apparently there was a Shout Factory release of the original in 2017, so they got the 4K from that and replaced all the flashback footage for part two with the 4K master footage. That's a little, whew. And that one includes new special features like interviews with the director and some of the actors. And it also contains special the special features from the earlier DVD releases. Um, and then they also released that as a limited edition collector set that was limited to 2000 orders that included a, the Blu-ray set, a poster, and an eight-inch action figure of Ricky Caldwell. And um, the commentary track from Freeman was included on that as well. And fans listening, I need those figures, both the Ricky and the Billy. So if you would like to gift them to the Rev to show your support and pledge your fealty, to me and the Dark Lord, then please do so. Um, otherwise, I'll probably pick them up somewhere eventually. But but I need them anyway. I'm guessing so, that was the Billy released with the uh, that 2017 edition, the 4K edition of the Part One. Yes. Oh, okay, that's what I was assuming. Yes, yes. So yeah, <laughs> definitely want to get my happy hands on those. Uh, also, you can stream the movie quite liberally. Pretty much every free streaming service with ads has it up, but Tubi is where you should go because they are actually, for Christmas this year, running a Silent Night, Deadly Night marathon. You can watch the entire franchise on Tubi absolutely free with commercials. All right, well, starting to feel the eggnog kicking in over here, so getting... Little holiday spirity feeling merry and bright and all that shit. I guess it's time for final motherfucking thoughts on Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. I think it's quite a beautiful story, actually. A story of revenge, a story that teaches you perseverance that no matter how long you have to wait, even if you're an, an infant and you get placed in the care of an abusive nun, uh, you have might have to survive childhood trauma and torment and foster families and all of that stuff. But if you're patient enough, you can finally get your revenge and you can let that motherfucker pay. I love seeing him get Mother Superior at the end. Uh, it's such a goddamn over-the-top movie. If anybody else besides Eric Freeman is in the role of Ricky, it is a pile of dog shit. Uh, I don't know how they put this together and call it a movie and expect us to pay for it and like it, but the fact that Eric Freeman is in this, putting this over-the-top performance that 
uh, like Annie had mentioned, is like we're almost sure that Vince McMahon stole for the Mr. McMahon routine, like that it changes the game and, and it makes it so bad it's good. And not even in a, like, oh, like, looking down on it. Like, I genuinely am entertained by his performance and what goes on in this movie and his one-liners. And just, holy shit, yeah, this is an annual viewing. Uh, Yeah, I uh, definitely think that Vince McMahon saw this movie and at the very least stole that laugh. Uh, That's... I love that laugh, and I have no shame been doing it all day, um, as well as as well as fuck off, Doc. My fave, um, but yeah, this movie is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, uh, we were talking before we started recording, and I said it then. I'll say it now for everybody else to hear. I'm still not sure if he was a terrible actor or a really really good actor. Um, if that was um, a, a choice, a decision, or a limitation. Um, but whatever it was, it worked for this movie, uh, not in the way they intended it to, but uh, it's unintentionally absolutely hilarious with so many misdelivered lines that become comedy gold. Um, it It does get a little, like, repetitive with it being a lot of rehashed footage but um you know whatever it is what it is when you take the credits out it's barely an hour long so it's fine um yeah it's it's just a dumb movie to throw on in the background while you're wrapping presents or whatever but it's a good time and it's not like you have to pay any money to see it if you want to so go for it uh, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. This movie is the definition of a so bad it's good type movie. Um, I do believe the lead actor was just, he was going for it and it was bad, but he w- it was just, it was so bad that it was hilarious. This is the type of movie that I regret that I didn't watch like with my friends, you know, like 15 years ago. This is totally the type of movie that you can um grab some some alcohol and some um other and some uh, illegal substances and everybody get messed up and like watch this together and i think you'll be like howling and you know laughing at just you know at a lot of the hilarious fucking line deliveries i could have totally seen myself watching this with a bunch of people and just dying laughing laughing together so i think that's something i would highly recommend um it totally makes sense to me that, like, you know, two of the main people that, like, you'd said before that, like, you know, one of them, the director is saying, like, you need to, like, play it, like, you know, like, over the top. And somebody else is telling him to play it like he's a cold-blooded killer. Because I got some kind of, like, I'm wondering if, like, the people that wrote the extra stuff, like, all the, you know, with the stuff between him and the doctor have, like, just watched Manhunter. Because that came out in 1986, and that was really the movie that, like kicked off like this you know the serial killer like movie craze i'm wondering if they saw that or like i know what we can do with this but then once they got in there we're like this is we we fucking do not have brian cox playing the bad guy here <laughs> like, it's not the same but yeah man i fucking love it like it's i mean it's terrible like the fucking the acting is so bad but the kills are over the top and just so many fucking memorable lines, like just the simplest things. Like at one point where he's like, my old lady couldn't afford to send me to college. So I got a job. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, why did you say it like that? And then an underrated, hilarious moment in it, like other than the fucking line deliveries, there's a moment where he fucking falls off a motorcycle, but he takes like a one, he, he does like a two Mississippi, like he gets hit. And then it's like one Mississippi, two Mississippi, and then fucking flings himself off of it. Like, what? Like, what the hell? <laughs> like, like, why didn't they refilm that? Like, there's such a fucking delay. But it's great, man. I would, I'll fucking watch this movie every single year. <laughs> it's so fucking stupid. It's a great time. I mean, you know, fucking, that's all you can ask for. <laughs> Well, hold on to those memories, because we'll be back next year with another Seeking Human Victims Christmas special as we continue our plow through the Silent Night, Deadly Night franchise and 
it's not quite as exciting of a time and that silent night deadly night three better watch out but it does have one bill mosley taking over in the role of ricky in that movie so it'll be worth a watch when we get around to it next year hope everybody had a great 2021 uh nick you know we said it it still sucked it was better in 2020 so there's that you know we got to get out of the house go do things that was fun um pretty good year overall aside from the world being dog shit and a bunch of my friends dying but you know uh within my little bubble i I guess everything's been going pretty good still out there on the road we finished up our last pro wrestling event for the year just last week so we are off until 2022 uh we'll probably be off most of january just resting recuperating and then going to be hitting it back hard again in february we've got dates already booked all the way into may uh, me and the Strong Style Psycho Tanks will be hitting the road again and back out there all over the country to see you great fans and supporters of us and of the Seeking Human Victims podcast. And we can't thank you enough for a banner year in 2021. And it was a hard year because of the first year I've had to juggle wrestling responsibilities and doing this podcast. And I appreciate you being patient with me. Most of the time I had everything up on time and even early for our patrons, but you know, there was occasionally a time when I had a big long trip that I was a little late in posting stuff and you guys were always super supportive. Nobody cussed me out. Nobody demanded a refund on their Patreon. Uh, so I really appreciate you bearing with us and, and supporting us like never before. The number, we, we had 999% growth in 2021, according to Spotify. That is fucking amazing. I cannot thank you enough. So we just got new subscribers pouring in on the Patreon. Uh, life is good in the Seeking Human Victims world, and 2022 is going to be good. We're very excited to bring you, kicking it off, probably around the second week of January. We're going to try to get a few of these in the can for you so that we don't run into any issues once my wrestling schedule picks up. So probably looking at about the second week of January, we're going to debut Season 13, the Stephen King Terror Timeline, and that is going to kick off with Carrie as the first episode so just sit tight listen to the archives i'll try to get you a bonus podcast for the patreon for the the reverend confessional podcast and we'll be back in just a few short weeks with all new seeking human victims thank you so much for your support for dreamboat annie and the great muji i am the rev keep one foot in the gutter and one fist in the gold good night this is not a test this is not a test please remain calm unburied dead are coming back to life and seeking human victims seeking human victims Product of what good scare productions. It is written, edited, researched, and directed by Dan Wilson, with assistance by Fuji Grant and Annie Wilson. Original music is provided by Shredderford, as well as KT Grant. All other music and audio clips are property of their 